Okie dokie. All right. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode four of Some Sanity. We are going to get right into it. Uh, but first, I just want to give one more pitch. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for the five-star reviews and for the actual worded reviews. Those really help me out, I guess, like as a grassroots kind of podcast where we're just kind of winging it. We're doing it. We're doing a soft launch. Like I didn't do some big launch thing. I just kind of like put it out for my current followers to start listening to on a weekly basis and I just kind of record this in my apartment I really appreciate it and it helps me out a lot with I guess the algorithm and stuff this boomer is still learning so I really appreciate it and just thank you so much if you haven't done it yet if you could leave me a review I would really appreciate it and subscribe to this on YouTube so you can see the beautiful face behind this voice just kidding uh I look a little rough whenever I do this because <laughs> I've just like done all my actual work, work stuff. And then I'm like, okay, let's try this podcast thing again. <laughs> and then I'm just like kind of really tired by the end of it. And I just want to eat dinner and yeah. Okay. But it's so important to keep talking about these issues. And so that's why I've been adding this into my schedule every week. And I'm really glad that you guys are starting to listen too. I am freaking loving seeing people share it on their Instagram stories and stuff like to be able to put uh, a name to a face and to just see the people who are listening. It's, it's a lot of younger people. There's people of all ages actually that are sharing it with me that they've been listening. And I just love it. I love seeing where you're listening. So like some people are at the office, some people are in their cars and they're just taking pictures of it and stuff like that. And it's just really cool. So I appreciate that. And it helps me out too, just to get people to be more aware of the fact that we're doing this once a week. So Thank you so much. Follow me on all the stuff. I mainly use Instagram. I just, I hate Twitter. I think it's a cesspool and stuff. So like you can follow me on it, but just know I just, I think it's pointless because it's just Politico people pushing their ideas onto other Politico people. <laughs> and I hate Politicos if we're being honest. I don't think they're doing much for us other than pushing the divide, making money off of the divide and telling us they're going to fix it this time, this election cycle, yada, yada. So I think it's going to be more average people that really bring change. And that's going to be because we're going to start to open our eyes to it. That's why I love Instagram, baby. Instagram's my game because it's people that aren't going to get political on Instagram. They're not going there to get in some political debate. They're just going for some fun content. Like I spend most of my time looking at DIYs and like home renovation stuff. And then I'll post my political stuff. And so I really want to reach people that aren't super political and they're, they're just trying to get a better understanding because they're a little concerned with what's going on. So the more you guys share that with your just like average friends, uh, it really helps me out because that's who we're trying to reach with this. We're trying to start more conversations amongst people of all ages who are just, you know, average Americans that are concerned with what's going on. So thanks again. Um, that's kind of all my pitch. And then let's get freaking into it, you guys. Uh, we are going to go through the crazy things that happened over the last two weeks. I, I've kind of been varying it. So the first episode was more of a theme. So why I got involved, why I'm in the commie fighting business and game, all that jazz. Uh, and then I went into more of current events for the next episode went back to a topic for the third where I talked about commie fighting 101 the groups that you have to know about the tactics they use stuff like that and I figured so much has happened oh my gosh this is such a fast-paced news cycle so much has happened in the last two weeks since we did the last current event stuff that we've definitely got to do an episode just breaking down some of the stuff that really caught my eye and I'll keep in mind like just keep in mind that I'm not really into all of the pop culture stuff I'm not into every issue like sometimes I'll look at issues like the transgenders competing in sports and stuff like that and the the 
disintegration of women's sports and stuff that'll draw my attention but mostly i love to look at everything from that liberals versus leftists the rise of socialism the rise of authoritarianism the rise of totalitarianism all that stuff that's happening in that general field so i always look at pop culture issues cancel culture issues everything that's going on in each subject whether that's the border whether that's women's sports or whether that's actual economic policy i just look at it from that angle and that's the kind of angle i want to bring to you guys so that you can be more aware of the fact that these aren't just random occurrences you know all the cancel culture issues and stuff that we're experiencing every time we look at the news and go oh my gosh that is insane It shouldn't just be a moment for us where we say, oh my God, that's insane. I can't believe it's happening. And then we swipe out of the app and close our notes and then get back to our lives. We really have to start noticing that there is this growing pattern of the rise of government taking control of our lives. The fact that we can't really fight it because they have these weird executive powers and these weird special powers because of COVID. There's all of these new regulations that are not only assisting with the pandemic, but one of the first stories we'll talk about is an example of government overreach taking control of something that literally has nothing to do with the pandemic. So that's where we have to start connecting the dots. We have to start realizing these aren't just random occurrences. What's happening now is the result of a growing movement in the country for socialism, as in the government controlling major parts of the economy, not just, you know, big government programs and stuff, but straight up controlling major parts of the economy, taking over private business and private industry, and in general, not just cancel culture, but the complete elimination of people's participation in society unless they agree with the groupthink, unless they go along with the leftist mentality. That's where we come in, where we've got to start As average people who don't want to be bothered, we've got to start saying, screw it. I'm going to start dedicating some time each week to becoming more educated on the topics, to reading more books, to talking to more people that we know, and to actually making action. So like for me, I'm looking at things like school board. I'm looking at, do I want to run for school board? Do I know who's running for school board in my area? Do I know people that want to run? Do people need help and they just don't understand? Do people even know that you can run for school board without picking a party? And so a lot of people run for school board, uh, very apolitical or non-political, and then they become complete leftists once they're in office. So you really have to pay attention to their social media. We need to start acting like leftist activists and really take control of our communities, take control of what's around us, because that's how they did it. That's how they rose up. And that's how they control pretty much every aspect of our society right now, from our economy to our education system, to the big businesses in what's going on in America. So all the business titans that are against us, especially in big tech uh, and especially in pop culture and the mainstream media conservatives, people that just want to be left alone, people on in the middle, independents, classical liberals, we have been completely abandoned by every single aspect of American society because it's controlled by leftists and by more woke liberals. So we've got to step up our game. That's what this podcast is all about, getting you to just say, screw it. Let's listen to Morgan. Let's game plan after the podcast, whether you need to talk to me about it or whether you want to just talk to the people in your lives. Get some fire under your butts, people. Okay, so this week or this episode, you know, this week's episode, we're going to talk about some crazy out of control government action that happened over the last couple of weeks. We're going to do an update on what the heck China Joe has been up to. We're going to do some new developments in the fight of liberals versus leftists. You guys know I love that. And of course, uh, we're going to talk about the weakening of our society through cancel culture, striking again and saving us from the oh so scary and oh so violent words. <laughs> I'm scared. Um, but We are segmenting up the topics today kind of in the order that I just went through. So up first, let's do the first segment. Crossing the line. Government is completely out of control. Example, 
One, just from the last couple weeks, uh, a Gateway Pundit headline reads, quote, New York City judge removes six-year-old from mother because she didn't wear a mask while dropping her off at school. This is America. <laughs> Okie dokie, what happened here? Um, so I really think you guys need to see, like hear this whole story. So I'm just going to read a section from the article. I just think it's really important because this is disturbing. The article written by Cassandra Fairbanks says, quote, it was a normal day for Dr. Epstein, a family physician, when she went to drop her daughter off at Birch Waith and Lennox School on the Upper East Side last week until her life was turned upside down in an instant. The tearful mother explained in a phone call that her daughter was already inside the building dropped off at school and wearing a mask when the school nurse and school security attempted to force Dr. Epstein to wear a mask on the public outdoor street in front of the building where drop-off takes place. Dr. Epstein refused. I should add into here, so side note, she had already dropped the kid off. The kid had the mask on, went into school, followed all the rules. The mom had dropped the kid off and was walking away to her car. Back into the article. Here we go. So Dr. Epstein is separated from her daughter's father, and they had a shared custody agreement where the child split times between the home equally. The divorce, however, has been bitter. Following the confrontation at the school, Dr. E Dr. Epstein left, but would soon find a letter from the expensive college prep school sent to her, her estranged husband, and the attorneys for both parties. So the school sent a letter to her, her ex-husband, and their attorneys. The school was demanding that Dr. Epstein no longer be permitted to drop off or pick up her child from school. If that wasn't bad enough, the father used the notice about the mask situation to request an emergency hearing for full custody, which Justice Matthew F. Cooper granted after berating the already emotionally devastated mother. On Tuesday, Dr. Epstein was not permitted to see or even speak to her daughter, even though it was her sixth birthday. To get two supervised visits with her daughter per week, she will now need to wear a mask inside of her own home. End quote. You guys. Okay. So first of all, this reminds me of when in the beginning of COVID, when hairstylists were starting to try and open, there was a situation where I think this was in Oregon. We of course had the Texas situation and that was awesome when the hairstylist fought back. That was really cool. I think she's running for state Senate now, but there was a situation in Oregon or one of those, you know, Northwestern states that's just turning full commie. They had one week before these hairstylists could open again, but the owner of the business said, my hairstylists that rent the seats from me and from my business, they are struggling to feed their family. We need to open. I need to pay the bills. We need to feed our families. We need to survive. So we are going to open a week early. I need us to be able to take care of the people in our lives. She opened a week early. What do you know? The problem is they didn't have a way to really hold her accountable because at the time it's like, Who's actually enforcing these COVID rules? You know what I mean? And this is where this concept of if government wants to make it happen and hold you accountable, they will use their weird, tangly arms of the bureaucracy to find some way to stop you and hold you accountable and just pin you down, stop you from fighting. What happened with this hairstylist is first they tried to find ways that she her building was like maybe violating local rules because it's a, you know, on city territory and she might be violating city rules and so they could you know prevent certain utilities from going to the building so they tried that way then they started attacking her with of course fines and so she's getting all these fines police are showing up but what happened next is cps child protective services was called to her house and in front of her kids questioned her questioned her children 
her kid in front of her and asking, is mommy making sure that you're safe? Do you feel safe in this environment? Is mommy making you feel unsafe, unsecure by not, you know, staying closed for one more week? And that's a perfect example, you guys. They didn't have one example of like a law she was breaking for opening her her own business, just operating one week earlier than the tyrannical government said she could. She opened a week early and they sent child protective services and it's all to scare you. It's to stop you by saying, oh, I can't fight this legally. I don't have the money. It's to stop you by scaring you, by scaring your children in front of you, by having authorities question them and threaten to take them away. That is why it is so important for government in general to be small because in times like this, when government gets bloated and then a crisis happens, they're able to use those weird tentacles of the bureaucracy, the creepy tentacles, to grab onto you and hold you down when you're trying to fight the power. It's disgusting. This is what we're seeing here, but from a different angle where you're already having this fight between an ex and an ex, and they're going to use every angle they can to make it happen. Uh, and so in moments of chaos, you guys, I talk about this a lot. In moments of chaos, crisis, and unrest, you're going to have situations where socialists will seize the opportunity. And if we take that a step further, it's not just socialists, but it's people who want to force their way. It's people who are radical, who are trying to pass things that wouldn't pass during a normal period of time. And that's what this father is doing at this time. Because in a normal situation, it's 50-50 custody, baby. You can't do much. But in this weird situation where people are scared of COVID, you're evil and a grandma killer if you don't wear your mask, he's able to take custody of his kid by using this weird, frivolous, local or state, whatever mandate it was, or even a school rule to have a mask to take custody, full custody of his child, when in a normal situation, this would be 50-50. What sucks is like, this mom is experiencing this, but in Texas, we don't even have to wear masks anymore. So you can see how on a state-by-state -state basis, it's terrible, like especially in New Jersey, there's that, that gym owner. In some states, you're allowed to have your gym open. You're allowed to have your businesses completely going. People are alive and free and just operating in the economy the way that we should be able to. And in other places, people are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines for trying to fight the government for this regulation. I am a federalist, I know, but this is incredibly hard to see our fellow Americans because at the end of the day, I'm not a Texan, you're not a, you know, I wasn't a New Yorker when I lived there. At the end of the day, we're all Americans and it's more of the country that we're in and we're seeing fellow Americans being held down by oppressive oppressive politicians that are getting too power hungry. I'm really sad to see that this is what's happening with this woman. And I'm sure we're going to start seeing this more uh, because of course we have the new strains coming out with COVID. We have to be still scared. We, even though we have a vaccine and people are getting vaccinated at record levels, thanks to the Trump vaccine plan, we still have to keep people scared. And so they're going to tell us that, you know, we have to stay locked down in case the new strains and stuff like that. That's what's going to happen. Um, but I think we're going to start to see this where it's affecting people's custody. It's affecting their personal lives because it's going to be weaponized against them, uh, even though they're great, upstanding citizens in every other situation. And even if you don't wear a mask, you're still a great, upstanding citizen. Don't get me wrong. Um, next example. So second example of government completely not knowing their place in America. Hello. Um, a red voice media article reads, quote, Democrat sends U.S. troops to Marjorie Taylor Greene's office, her congressional office. Oh my gosh. You guys, now I get it. There's a lot of controversy with this congresswoman. There's a lot of controversy with the story in general. I guess she accidentally or even purposely, I don't know what it was, she said that Guam was a foreign territory or something. And it's not, it's a U.S. territory. 
And so Democrats were offended. People from Guam were offended, all this stuff. People are offended over everything, even if it's just like misspeaking on accident. Uh, so regardless of what this controversial politician says, you guys, the story gives me chills. And here's why. When you take away the names, so take away the fact that it was Marjorie Taylor Greene, take away the fact that she's controversial, take away the fact that she's Republican and the other guy going after her with this publicity stunt is a Democrat. Take away the titles, take away the names, take away the political parties, and look at this from a larger perspective. Here's what it shows. A politician said something unappealing or offensive, whether it was on purpose or just a gaffe. I do a lot of gaffes. Whether it was on purpose or just a gaffe, and in response... A politician on the other side rallied a group of military members to march to her public official office on Capitol Hill to make a political statement and seize a media opportunity. Filmed the whole thing. It gives me chills because it's setting a precedent of what is acceptable and what could be in the future if we keep politicizing and weaponizing the military on our own soil in America, on America's soil. Don't pay attention to the frivolous back and forth that we're going to see between the sides. Take a bigger scope on this and say, holy crap, holy, we are witnessing something that's incredibly unprecedented and dangerous. That's the angle we need to take to a lot of these issues. You know what I mean? Okay, those are two examples of the overbearing government, you guys. Now we're going to move on to my favorite man in America. Next segment up is where's Joe? Oh, he's over there watching Kamala measure the Oval Office curtains. <laughs> Do you like the name of that one? Oh, man. Okay, so you guys, we have the Joe Biden border crisis created solely by the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris administration. Congrats, guys. You've done it all yourself. It's the only thing you can pretty much take full credit for uh, instead of stealing from the Trump administration. But you guys, the border crisis is getting bad. And to add to that, here's a terrible update and a great example of a lack of transparency coming from this administration. Okay. So today, I'm filming this on Tuesday the 16th, this afternoon, a CBS News White House reporter, Tim Perry, tweeted, uh, quote, new, before boarding her plane to head back to D.C., VP Kamala Harris is asked if she was worried about the migrant children at the U.S.-Mexico border. Harris said, quote, I haven't been briefed on anything today about it, but I will when I get on the plane end quote. That's all she said. Okay. Ah! Um, that's incredibly frustrating because this comes after weeks of crisis reporting. So crisis level reports of what's happening on the border. So reports that the detention centers are at over 700% capacity. Kids are being held in temporary areas longer than the legally allowed three-day period. They are showering once a week. These poor children are showering once a week and now there are numbers showing that about 13,000 unaccompanied minors are in U.S. custody because of this crisis. No biggie. But yeah, the vice president, who's the more mentally capable person to handle a question like this out of the administration, just says, oh, you know, I haven't been briefed on that yet. Like, oh my gosh, sorry. I'll talk to you guys later. Guess what? She's not going to come out and give a statement, you guys. If you haven't learned, you haven't learned. And you'll never learn, apparently. My take on this, you guys, is that the White House press pool from a bigger picture, the White House press pool has spent four years 
crying, complaining, and really just railing against the Trump administration as if it was this like lying dictatorship that would never tell them information and that was just so horrible. But now they're actually going to be continually facing an administration that will lie to their faces or that will just say, Mm, let me get back to you on that. I'll circle back. I'll circle back. I'll circle back. Here's a fact. Okay, so Jen, our girl, the girl who circles back all the time, if you guys actually think that she's dumb and just can't remember things and so she has to circle back, you will never, ever learn your lesson. You have not read history. You guys, she's not dumb. She's not circling back because she doesn't know what to say. She's not you know, doing this because she hasn't checked with the boss. It's because they don't want to be transparent about what's happening. It's because they don't want to answer the question. Get the picture? She doesn't need to circle back because she's not aware of what to say. She's circling back because she doesn't want to say it publicly and she maybe just wants to send an email about it, a follow-up, a circle back, or she just wants to try and avoid the topic in general, especially knowing that Twitter goes wild whenever she goes live on that press stuff. So if you haven't learned that lesson, catch up people, time to catch up. This is 2021. We're dealing with a completely corrupt administration here. That's not going to tell us anything. It's up to us to stay vigilant. But you guys, this is the first time that after the four years of Trump, we are going to experience the press pool have to get lied to and lied to and pushed back and made fun of because she like jokes about their questions and stuff too. It's kind of ridiculous. So they're experiencing now a lack of transparency in a serious, legitimate way from an administration that's causing serious problems and a literal border crisis because of their decisions and their leadership. Will they, will they open their eyes to it and say, oh my gosh, I think I would rather have mean tweets and an honest administration that is upfront and that answers every single one of our questions (laughs) instead of what we're facing right now. Do you think they're going to do it? Time will tell, but I actually feel a little hopeful. Is that weird for me to say? I feel a little hopeful. And you guys, other opinion on this. So not from like the lack of transparency aspect, but... (laughs) Can we just reflect on the fact that we have been held to incredible standards? And by incredible, I mean incredibly terrible standards for shutting down our lives, shutting down our businesses, living under incredibly ridiculous regulation, rule, and law, and executive order because of COVID-19. We are grandma killers if we don't wear our masks to run outside on a clear path. (laughs) I can't even believe it. Like when I was in DC, I left to get into an Uber. And of course I wore my mask to get into the Uber because I want to have that private company service. Thank you very much. But I will be like looked at in a dirty way because I'm not wearing my mask alone on a sidewalk and people will be running by me wearing masks. Psychopaths. I'm not the crazy one. You are the crazy people wearing your masks and running outside on an open road. You're the crazy ones. Either way, we have been held back for almost a year now. We are at the anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. And at the same time, it's like the epiphany that I did not want, that I did not know that I didn't want. I didn't even think we could get this ridiculous. On the anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread starting, We are seeing illegal immigrants come across the border, COVID positive, not held in any sort of like special place until they test negative. They're just let go to reign free throughout the state of Texas to enter through our southern border and just spread throughout our 
our country. We've been held down for a year by oppressive government because of COVID-19. And then they let illegal immigrants come in COVID positive after all of this destruction they've caused to our lives, all this suffering that they've brought to us. And then they think we will just sit here and watch COVID positive people be led across the border with no repercussion. It is, it's probably the thing that has made me the most mad about COVID-19. All the regulations made me mad, of course. Everything about it made me mad. But what makes it worse is to rub salt in the wound by saying, hey, after all of this, as we reach an anniversary of 15 Days to Slow This Bread, we're going to... We're not going to do anything about COVID positive people just walking into the country and spreading it from community to community. Okay, you guys, I could rant about this forever, but we need to move on. At the end of the day, this whole situation of letting COVID positive people across the border and just enter our communities and the fact that they're just putting them into random places after having us be separated, affecting small businesses, having everybody suffer so much, not be able to go to work, not be able to just live our lives and participate in the economy the way we should be able to in America. I cannot believe they've done this to us. So I am completely disgusted. Again, I could rant about this forever, but we're going to move on. Uh, Next, you guys, one of my favorite topics, we're going to move into the segment called leftists versus liberals. Woo! Okay, number one, socialists have taken over the Nevada Democratic Party. A Fox headline reads, the entire Nevada Democratic Party staff quits after Democratic socialists sweep party leadership positions. Oh boy, what are we about to get into here? So here's the information. The members that quit include the operations director, research director, communications director, and finance director of the party. The socialists beat regular Democratic candidates, and they ran on a slate called the Nevada Dems Progressive Slate. But what's so funny to me is like, you know how the left's just use, they just use like word jumble salads of like progress, justice, freedom, equality. Well, guess what the OG Democrat slate was called, you guys? It was called the Progressive Unity Slate. So you had the Socialist Nevada Dems Progressive Slate against the Classical Lib Dems slate called the Progressive Unity Slate. Well, what do you know? Socialists beat them in every position. Every single candidate for party leadership that won, except for one person, was a dues-paying member of the Democratic Socialists of America. And if you guys have listened to episode two, no, episode three, the last three, three, sorry, I pointed the wrong fingers out. If you've listened to episode three, so the last episode, I went through the groups of the actual socialist left and the tactics of the actual socialist left. One of those groups was the DSA. And who remembers what I said about those guys? They are the ones who help us differentiate the difference between a liberal and a leftist. So with socialism, a lot of people think, oh, we'll just end up like Nordic Europe. No, guys, Nordic Europe is capitalist. They have a lot of high taxes. They have a lot of really big government programs. But at the end of the day, they have a capitalist economy and they appreciate that. They are not trying to get rid of that. And social or and, you know, the Nordic European leaders, including the prime minister of Denmark, have come to America and said, don't fall for the lies of your country's leftists. We are capitalist. We are a social democracy and we have very high taxes and high pro- a lot of programs, but at the end of the day, we're still capitalist. We are not socialist. 
So when you read the Democratic Socialists of America website, their policies are not going to make us like Nordic Europe, folks. They clearly say they want to get rid of capitalism and they want to completely change our economy. That is not going to make us like Nordic Europe. We're going to end up like socialist Venezuela. What's going to happen in America if it happens here? We're going to democratically put socialists into power. They will start to take over private industry and private business. And uh, the problem is... Here's where we have to pay more attention and read the fine print. And this is what I talked about in the last episode. The DSA website says they want to do this. They do hate capitalism. They think it's bad. They do want to bring socialism. They do want to end private business. And they say this on the website. I don't know if it's in their platform or constitution. I can't remember right now. But they say, we don't have a plan for that yet. And... Well, guys, guess why they don't have a plan for it yet? It's because they usually end up having to seize the means of production, forcibly take over that private industry and private business that they want to have the government control of. And of course, don't fall for this. They're going to be like, no, we don't want government to control it. We're going to want it to be controlled by the workers, by the collective, by the people. Okay, listen, phonies, the regime that's put in charge when you have your socialist revolution ends up being in charge of all of the economy because you've just given them power and told them to manage it in the name of the people. Do you see what happens here? So even if you replace the government, whatever you end up doing, once you gain control of everything, you start having people who manage all of it in the name of the people. When you centralize the power, when you give them control over everything with no checks and balances because they control the system of justice, they control the economy, and they control the lawmaking and the legislation, where's the check on their power? Where are they going to be held accountable? Because the people have no more financial and economic power. They don't take care of themselves. They rely fully on the government. So they're fully dependent. They have no ability to say, hey, we're fine no matter what you do. We don't agree with what you're doing and we're going to hold you accountable because we are individuals with economic, financial, and independent personal power. They don't have that anymore. And so they're completely dependent on the state. These people that are in the regime have full control. So the DSA is telling us that they want to have worker-owned businesses, collectively-owned businesses, yada, yada, the usual. They say they don't have a plan for it yet, but you guys, like I just said, that's because they probably just don't want to admit on their website that what usually happens throughout history when this happens in the name of the people or in the name of the worker is by force. So quite a violent little transition here. And who would put that on a website? Terrible marketing. Um, What the website of the DSA does say is that while they work to come up with a long-term plan to achieve that goal of ending private business, they do intend to slowly work their way to gaining control of private business by passing higher taxes and more regulation. And if we look to Venezuela, that's exactly what happened there, where when they were taking over these private businesses and industries, what they would do is they would just show up at their door with a stack of, of regulation, a stack of mis of wrongdoings that they had, had done. And they would say, you're in violation of like these hundred things. Uh, we're going to need you to be out by tomorrow. And so there's no way to fight that. <laughs> you, you should not be at that business tomorrow if they come in and tell you that. So that's how they do it. They use, like I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the podcast, they use the creepy crawly arms of the bureaucracy to take control. And the DSA is what does that. So here's the thing though. You guys, that same group, the Democratic Socialists of America, took control of an entire state's Democratic Party. Yeah. So once this happened, 
the radicals started to expose themselves. They just can't help it. They just can't help their desire for a French Revolution, for a guillotine-style embrace of American leftism. Okay, so on Twitter, the co-chair of the Las Vegas Democratic Socialists of America, who helped with the socialist overtake of the party, shared an edited version of the Nevada Dems logo and turned the state of Nevada into a guillotine. I kid you not. So I, I'll let you guys know, I get a lot of guillotine death threats, a lot of like chop and the head hits the ground threats sent to me because it's these radical leftist Marxist people that think they're going to like redo the French revolution. They think they're going to actually have like a people's revolution and it's going to work this time. And these are like the actual flat earthers of economics, I will say. So they're violent. They're usual leftists. If we look to history, this should not be shocking to anybody. They want to kill their political opponents. And it's not just the Republicans and conservatives, you guys. If they come into power and they like actually start to do all of this, it's not just us who are going to lose our heads or be thrown in the, the gulag or whatever it is. We're not going to just be put against the firing squad. It's going to be the liberals and the Democrats because they see us all as one and the same. And I talk about that in previous podcasts. But so this girl, her name's Kara Hall, I think her Twitter is Kara wants a 90 day fiance with one of those socialist roses. So that's how you can identify socialist Twitter. They have roses in their um, bios and in their names. So she reshared um, the Nevada Dems logo where the slant from the Nevada state, the bottom of the state uh, is turned into the blade of the guillotine and then a guillotine structure is put around the state so fantastic stuff um she shared it and said new branding just dropped as soon as they all won power so that's fantastic um again liberals versus leftists the leftists have actually taken control of a state democratic party this is fantastic but here's a new one okay new york here's my prediction is the next nevada Nevada is a good trial run and an example for what is about to come to America. And people, I've been called, when I first started Young Americans Against Socialism, I had the concept in 2018. I pitched it around to people. People literally on the conservative side and in the middle said, Morgan, you sound like McCarthy. Morgan, you are fear-mongering. Morgan, you're you're overreacting. You're overthinking. Like, you got to chill. Socialism is not a big problem. And I was like, hello. Yes, it is. The left is rising. Maybe our generation doesn't actually want socialism, like the 70% that say they would vote for a socialist. I don't think they're socialists, so I'm not worried about that number. But we still have this rising faction of a socialist movement on the up and up. And that's what I'm concerned about. That's what we're seeing right here. So what we saw in Nevada is what did the Dem what did the socialists do? They took over positions of power from OG Democrats, like establishment Democrats. What did we see with AOC and Justice Democrats and the DSA that endorsed her and helped her run? She took out Joe Crowley, an establishment Democrat in a very deep blue district. And now she is solidified in them. There's no getting her out. What is the Justice Democrats doing in general? I told you about this in episode three. They are the kind of campaign arm of the socialist movement. They are attacking deep blue districts with establishment Democrats that are going to be easy to get out, kind of like the old white guys, if you will. And they are replacing them with actual socialist candidates. So they're running as Democrats and they are replacing true Democrats, American Democrats, blue dog Democrats with socialist politicians. After AOC won, they decided to do a new like submission pool where they could say apply to become the next AOC. That's how Cori Bush got in. What they're trying to do is 
grow the level of power that they have in the in the House of Representatives. They're trying to grow the Progressive Caucus, which is all of their members, all the socialist people. What we saw when uh, Governor Cuomo started to have his controversy in New York, this is what's happening right now. I'm telling you, I don't call me crazy, people. I'm on to this. So conservatives, I can attest to this. I've been against Cuomo since like 2014 when I was in high school. We've been trying to get him out forever because he's been involved in so much pay to play, so much corruption. He has made New York the highest taxed state and local tax or state with in terms of like the highest state and local tax burden. Sorry, I'm getting late. Okay. So New York has the highest state and local tax burden, one of the most regulated states, one of the worst states for business and one of the most corrupt states. And it's all thanks to governor Cuomo in the last 10 years years or so before COVID hit, over a million people had moved out of the state to go to places like Florida and Texas and yada, yada, a good place to live with opportunity and, and where we wouldn't be taxed to death and, and hated on. Because Governor Cuomo has said before too, if you're conservative, you don't belong here. You can go. He said our values just don't align with the state. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Imagine if like, if Cuomo went upstate, oh boy, he would not be welcome. It's just like, he would just probably have people just, I don't think we would be hostile or like show up and protest or anything, I think we would just say, screw off, screw off. If he ever tried to do like an apple orchard event or something like in an actual conservative area of upstate New York, because most of upstate is conservative. But back to the issue. Ever since this whole nursing home drama came out months and months ago, in terms of just finding out that he forced COVID positive patients into nursing homes, we have been calling for him to be held accountable, conservatives from New York. That being said, those go ignored because it's just yada, yada, stupid conservatives in New York. Then it started to make national news. Again, still ignored because it was only Republicans, conservative media in general. But once what really tipped the ball was when his staff started to admit that they had lied about COVID numbers and who were the people to hold them accountable. The first people to speak out about this, to talk about removing his executive powers because of the crisis and stuff like that. They were the leftist socialist faction of the New York Senate and Assembly. So think state politics, the state legislative sections. They were the first people to join the conservatives in saying, wait a second, this guy is off the rails. And here's where it gets interesting. Once the sexual harassment stuff started coming out, that's when the left really got into it because they were like, oh, well, now this really fits our narrative. Sexual harassment. Wow, we've got to step in now. I mean, it, it was bad enough that, you know, kind of, you know, he lied about COVID numbers to the entire public just to avoid getting in trouble with the federal government. That's iffy. But sexual harassment. Oh, my God, we need to get him out of office immediately. And so I think both issues are important. That's the thing that sucks is like we were ignored for almost how many, six months with this whole nursing home situation? But as soon as there was sexual harassment thing, they want him out of office. Guess what? He deserved to be out of office before the sexual harassment stuff. And the whole sexual harassment stuff is an entirely new conversation and it deserves just as much attention. But here are my takes on this. When this really started to get pushed, when people started calling for his resignation, now here's what we have. We've gotten to a point where now Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer Chuck Schumer has called for his resignation. Kirsten Gillibrand, AOC, Jamal Bowman, Antonio Delgado, Jerry Nadler, Paul Tonko, the Speaker of the New York State Assembly, the Majority Leader of the New York State Senate, and the New York State Comptroller. They have all called for him to resign. That wasn't the case, though. 
In the beginning, it was the leftists who joined conservatives to say he's got to go. He's got to have his powers limited or he's got to get out of office. And here's what I think is happening. Just like how the left is trying to get people like Joe Crowley out of office the way they did with AOC. They, of course, want to get somebody like Cuomo out of office because New York is such a deep blue state. It's not going anywhere for the Dems. And if they won this over, it would be a major victory. But the problem is they've been trying to primary Cuomo for a long time. So like Cynthia Nixon, uh, Zephyr Teachout, a lot of the more left-leaning people have been trying to primary him, and it fails every time, okay? You're not going to win against Governor Cuomo in a primary, maybe now because he's weak. But I think what they saw here was an opportunity to get out a really big player in the Dems establishment, and they are using this moment of a of chaos, of crisis, to push the narrative that he needs to go. Because this is the only real way, the only opportunity that the left has to get rid of this big blue dog establishment Democrat. That's what I think is happening here. And so they are trying to seize that moment and get this guy out of office because it gives them more of an opportunity to replace him with somebody more favorable to their ideas, somebody who's one of them, uh, a socialist, a leftist, not a blue dog dem, the way Cuomo has always kind of been like a union guy. Um, now, considering that, considering what's going on, I think we're going to start to see this general shift, not just in Nevada, not just in New York, but we're going to start seeing it everywhere. Like I said, the Justice Dems, the DSA, they are trying to run Democrats or run socialists as Democrats and replace old school Democrats that embrace classical liberalism and capitalism with actual leftist socialists. So that's what we have to pay attention to. Um, that's my take on why the left was so quick to jump on this. Once the heat started piling onto Andrew Cuomo, they just helped it snowball. You know what I mean? They saw an opportunity and they were like, let's screw this guy over. And they started building that narrative that like, maybe he should resign next thing. You know, all these people start coming out. I think they were behind it. Um, my other take on it, though, is that you also have the situation where he is responsible for so many deaths because of COVID-19 putting COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. So what we're seeing there, you guys, is a situation where I think the establishment Dems and in general the left, the leadership are saying, do we want him to go down for lying about COVID deaths and that whole drama? Or do we want to just try and get him out right now and kind of put him out of his misery by just getting him gone with this sexual harassment stuff. And I think they're trying to block us from being able to hold him accountable for what he did with the COVID deaths in the nursing homes by having his scandal be turned into just the sexual harassment. That's the big thing. I think they're trying to distort the narrative on this and avoid a much bigger controversy, crisis, and story for their party in general because he's, you know, one of the golden boys. So... That's my take on that. Watch what the left is doing on it. Okay, so up next, we're going to talk about weak and woke. I just want to go through two examples. So <laughs> weak and woke, guys. Here's the next section, section um, a.k.a. we are basically becoming a society of betas. Um, first, we have Yahoo headline reading Unilever to drop normal from beauty products to become more inclusive. So let's get into this. This is another situation of doing like feel good stuff that brings no results. This company, Unilever, so the kind of the company that makes products like Dove and other like household name products, they have been in hot water for a while because they had this advertisement in 2017 where girls are going one after another and like taking their shirt off and the shirt matches their skin color. They take their shirt off and then the screen transitions to another girl 
who looks different and then another girl. And so it's like a pattern of you take your shirt off and then you transition. And I think it's to show different skin tones. Maybe that was the original intent of the ad and to like have that nude look by having everybody's t-shirt match their skin tone. But what social media grabbed from that video where it literally goes from a black girl in a dark brown shirt that matches her skin tone to a white girl in a very pale, pale, beige shirt to a girl who's like in between I don't know what race she is I I literally just don't want to assume but she's tanner than the second girl and lighter than the first girl it switches to her so there's a transition of multiple women different color skin tones the problem is one of them went from a black girl with a dark brown shirt and she took her shirt off and turns into a white girl all social media grabs is that one little transition to make it seem like Dove put out a commercial where if you wash your skin with Dove soap, you'll turn into a white girl. You know, like, do you see that simple transition there where it was this commercial of like different skin tones transitioning, 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 because like probably they just wanted to represent everybody. All social media takes in this hot era of cancel culture and offensiveness is just that one little clip. And so they get super offended by it. If you search the situation now, like Dove 2017 ad campaign controversy, it doesn't say anything about the fact that it was like multiple transitions of different girls from different skin tones. It literally just makes it seem like they did an ad where they transitioned a black girl to a white girl by using soap. (laughs) So that is not what originally happened. And I feel bad for all the sides. Like I I can see how you can look at it and be offended by it. And I can also see how this company was like, "Eh, we were just trying to do like transitions of different people. (laughs) I don't know. So, um, either way they've been in hot water and I think they could have just been so simple with it. If they wanted to say, Hey, we've made some problem problematic stuff recently and we wanted to just fix it up. They could have just done the first thing that they released recently. They decided to say in a press release that they will stop editing body shapes and skin color of the models in their advertising. Heck, I think that's pretty nice. Good job, you guys. Like, that's kind of a good decision. Good job. Thank you for, like, smart decision. Great. I hate the editing that goes on these days. The fact that there's no texture in skin, the fact that body shape is distorted, all this stuff. Like, let's get back to more normal. That being said, don't go into the concept of like putting an obese person on the front of a fitness magazine the way they have, but there's a happy medium where we could just say, you know what, we're over editing. And you know what? At the same time, we shouldn't be telling people that being obese and being fat is healthy happy medium there. And I think Dove and the company Unilever could have literally just achieved that by saying, we've been pretty problematic, but we're going to get back to our roots. We're going to get back to the basics. We're just going to stop editing body shapes and skin color. And we're just going to really promote a natural messaging. And we're so sorry about everything else. Well, guys, guess what they did? They not only had to ruin their concept of stopping the editing of skin color and body shape, they had to add in there that they're going to remove the term normal from their products because people are offended. Oh my gosh. All they're doing right now is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I just think that this is another example of people doing, especially in the woke leftist liberal stuff, they're just doing stuff that sounds good, that feels good to say, oh, we're going to like take out the normal stuff because we want everybody to feel like they fit in and we don't want them to feel like they're not normal for having dry or like cracked skin, (laughs) whatever. I was like, whenever I see like normal skin, it's like when I'm picking face wash and I'm like, oh, this is for oily skin, dry skin or normal skin. And you could just easily pick it. I'm not offended by it at all because like sometimes I have oily skin, sometimes I have dry skin. So I picked the combo skin one in case anybody cared. Okay. But I don't get offended. And so my favorite take on this was Katie Pavlik 
which she tweeted, if you were offended by soap descriptions, life is going to be very hard for you. <laughs> Amen. Preach. Um, Last one, we have Mumford and Sons member uh, is taking time away from the band after praising right-wing writer's book. So Winston Marshall, the banjoist of the band, tweeted a picture of Andy No's book with the caption, finally had the time to read your important book, You're a Brave Man. Keep in mind, the book shouldn't be a controversial thing. It's literally called Unmasked, inside of Antifa's radical plan to destroy democracy. Sounds like a good book. Sounds like it's a needed topic. Well... We had to get offended. And so what we had here uh, is they decided to attack him for promoting a guy who's connected to white supremacist groups. Keep in mind, Andy No is uh, Asian. But yeah, connect him to white supremacist groups to make yourselves feel better as if you're like the woke social justice warriors that you wish you were. So the banjoist decides to come out with a statement after everybody's crying about what he said about a book. Uh, and they... The poor banjoist says, over the past few days, I've had a better, oh, he says, over the past few days, I have come to better understand the pain caused by the book I endorsed. I have offended not only a lot of people I don't know, but also those closest to me, including my bandmates, and for that, I'm truly sorry. As a result of my actions, I'm taking time away from the band to examine my blind spots. For now, please know that I realize how my endorsements have the potential to be viewed as approvals of hateful, divisive behavior. I apologize, as this was not all my intention. You guys, then Andy tweets, I grieve for those who are made to suffer because they dare to read my work or talk to me. My take is that, first of all, notice the language. Okay, so the banjoist apologizes for causing pain for endorsing a book about a communist group. Pain? This is a, a, a great example, you guys, of the left trying to say that our words, our free speech, brings them violence it it causes violence and so it must be stopped it must be stopped and i just saw recently um ayanna presley from new york i might have mentioned this in the last podcast she's saying that now poverty is policy violence caused by the right so do you see how everything they don't like everything that should just be something that we're free to say because i thought this was america it's now violent to support certain books that don't go with their narrative it's violent to support policies that they don't like that have just literally stuff like rejecting a $15 minimum wage because it's flat earth or economics. So second opinion though, this is straight up Maoist style public square punishment and a great example of our new forced public apology process. And so see, he's like, I will take my time away from my life. I will stop earning money. I will stop participating in my career in order to fully educate myself and become one with the leftist woke mob thank you so much yes sir and it's just ridiculous we're like making little soldiers little mind woke useless idiot soldiers and so people have to now beg for forgiveness for wrong think until the public accepts them and decides to forgive them for what they said or did or believed it's ridiculous um i'm incredibly saddened by it just incredibly saddened by it. We see it in so many situations and I hate that people are on their knees now begging for forgiveness before they can go back to just participating in their job. Or, I mean, what we just saw with Chris Harrison is he was fired. So he's no longer working for The Bachelor. Fantastic. Okay, you guys, to wrap this up, we have one question that I'm going to answer. Somebody asked, what are your thoughts on the anniversary of the 15 days to slow the spread? Oh, I hate reading that. Um, so for me, I was living in New York at the time, uh, kind of hopping from place to place because I was on the road so much. So I was just like kind of staying with family and figuring it out because I just moved out of Boston a little bit before COVID started and I had all my stuff in a storage unit. It was kind of a mess. But when I saw 15 days to slow the spread, I think I was in Texas 
I had just been on the road. I was at CPAC. Then I went to LA. Then I went to DC again. Then I went up to New York to repack. Then I went down to Texas for one last event. And when I was in Texas, people were saying, we're going to do this like 15 days to slow the spread. They were telling us it was just to flatten the curve because we didn't want to overwhelm the healthcare system with this massive influx of patients that were going to be coming if we all just continued to go out and about and spread it. And so if we just flattened the curve, we would be able to kind of ride it out, ride out that flattened curve, and the healthcare system wouldn't be overwhelmed. How did that work out? How did that work out? I don't know. Well, happy anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread, people. Happy America. I am, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't even say that. I'm sad. I'm mad. I'm angry. And I don't want to say happy anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. Sorry, I'm getting so frustrated. But at first it's like, oh, cute. Okay, so my mom and I are like, let's go to Home Depot before the 15 days starts. So like on negative one day of 15 days to slow the spread we're like let's go to home depot and get home improvement projects and like remodel the basement and you can hang out with me because my dad got deployed for covid relief so he's he was in the or he is he's in the u.s reserves army reserves he got deployed out to the western command center so that they could do the seattle field hospital so then my mom's like hang out with me who knows what's going to happen? You definitely can't get an apartment right now like because I was in such a transition mode. So we're like, let's redo the basement and then you can hang out there. So there I am hanging out in my parents' basement. And at first it's kind of fun because it's like, eh, I'm not living in my parents' basement, right? Like it's a pandemic or whatever it is at this moment. Like we're going to do the 15 days. So my mom and I drank a lot of wine. We ate a lot of popcorn, stuff like that. We painted the basement, all this fun stuff. We watched Tiger King, remember that? And I remember at the end of March, I was starting to watch that that graphic. Mike Pence, I love him and I think he's very handsome and very respectful and I like him a lot, okay? Very handsome man. Kind of crushing. But that's a different topic. I loved Mike Pence's little graphic that was like the countdown to 15 days to slow the spread being over. And so I remember looking at it and so innocently being like, oh my god, 12 days left. 11, 7, 5. And then and then the first betrayal of COVID-19, well, post-China lying about the fact that it spread from person to person, <laughs> the first betrayal that I felt from an American politician, and I hate to say this, Mr. Mike Pence, but when I saw Mike Pence on the day that it was supposed to be the end of the 15 days, he not only shared a new graphic with 30 days the number 30, where the number zero was supposed to be because we had done all the 15 days, they used the same graphic, you guys. They used the same graphic. Who on the comms team said that this would be a good idea and wouldn't drive people absolutely bat S-H-I-T? Crazy. Because that's what it did to me. I've been looking at that graphic go down in number every single day, and then all of a sudden I look on social media and it says 30? I had been hanging, clinging on to that graphic. Who decided to use the same graphic? Okay, that's just my frustration. When we get into, you know, late March, right? People are reaching out and they're like, Morgan, you literally give speeches on how leftists will use an opportunity of a crisis or a moment of chaos or insecurity 
to push their agenda, to normalize their radical agenda, to gain power. You need to start like writing op-eds and stuff and just like start speaking out about it. And I was like, no, like kumbaya, like we're all in this together. You know what I'm saying? Like we're all just watching Tiger King, drinking wine, eating popcorn with our parents at their house because we're just stuck here for a little bit and it's going to be fine. What the heck, Morgan? Why did I lose my commie fighting mentality so quickly right off the bat? I'm so disappointed with myself in this. And so I got a little nudge. I got a little kick in the butt. And I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times. And it was basically like, be careful about what's about to happen. So I said, you know, socialists use moments of chaos and crisis to rise to power. We're going to potentially experience that right now. Consider the freedom versus the false sense of security you're going to get through the government if this continues on. So I, I put out that first messaging. I started doing videos about that of like history shows. This is a time to protect our freedoms. Be careful of what freedoms we're giving away. All that stuff. Oh, God. It's hard to watch those videos because little naive Morgan is thinking like, we're going to be fine. (laughs) Well, guess what? Guess where we're at? I'm just, you know, sitting here celebrating the anniversary of 15 Days to Slow the Spread, yada, yada. So fun stuff. Um, What was interesting to me, you guys, I always say this, 70% of my generation says they vote for a socialist. My counter to that has always been, I freaking doubt 70% of my generation would actually want to seize the means of production or understands what socialism is. And I also say, I freaking doubt they've even heard the term nationalize major industry or seize the means of production. Well, I can't say that anymore, you guys, because in the end of March, I think this was the timeline, I'm on TV, watching TV, and I see Kami de Blasio go right onto national TV and claim that this is a case for nationalization, that the pandemic is a case for nationalization of major American industries in order to solve it. My ears were fuming. The red flags were popping out of my ears, popping out of my head because it was the first time we had ever heard a major politician in America call for the nationalization of an industry. Socialism, that's actual leftism. That's actual socialist policy. And it infuriated me because it was the first time we heard it, but I shouldn't have been shocked because you guys, I literally talk about this all the time. How did I miss it? So then I start keeping an eye out and I'm like, you know what? The unity is done. We're not in this together because you guys are going to go after it, aren't you? I knew they were going to do it. So, and I'm totally ranting right now. So what did we see in April? We saw the squad start to politicize the pandemic. So at first they were like, okay, if we had Medicare for all, if everybody had healthcare from the government, we would be in a better place to fight the pandemic. And so I'm thinking like, all right, like I expect that from them because this is a pandemic. It's a healthcare issue or it's a health issue in general. So I don't mind them pitching their healthcare policy. I feel like that makes sense of like, oh, this would have been a better way. So I'm thinking fine. But then we start seeing stuff like, If we had student loan cancellation, we'd be in a better place to fight this pandemic. If we had guaranteed basic income, we'd be in a better place to fight this pandemic. If we had free college for all, we'd be in a better place to fight this pandemic. If we had jobs for all, we'd be in a better place to fight this pandemic. Oh my God, if we had free rent, it was like cancellation of rent. If we had national rent control, we'd be in a better place to fight the pandemic. You guys, the left will always, throughout history, has always used moments of crisis and chaos to rise to power or to normalize their radical agenda that in normal situations, in normal circumstances, would never be considered by the population. In other times, the people would be like, hell no, you sound crazy. But 
in this time where everybody's freaked out, everybody's scared to even go to the grocery store. Remember, cause like early spring, it was like, can I go out in public? <laughs> and like, we were made fun of by politicians for wearing masks. Remember that Eric Swalwell? Yeah. Okay. So we were made fun of, we were scared. And at the time they start pushing their agenda. What do you know? Where are we now? Where we're just getting check after check after check. Give me the money government. And part of me is like, you know what? It's my money. Give it back to me. And then the other, I'm like, no, that is so against the concept of like giving the money and hoping we get a little bit back. Instead, we're just going to see our taxes rise and rise and rise. And we're going to be like, oh, yay, we got $1,400. It's so helpful. No, I just want to live my life. I just don't want to have all my money taken from the government and then passed back to me in this little tiny stimulus check or a little bit every month. It's like, it is insane. And so we've really gotten here because they've seized the opportunity to push their agenda and on weak, scared people who are extra weak and extra beta because they'd rather rely on the government and get this false sense of security. And then instead of feeling free and being independent and not putting all of their lives into the hands of the government, it made it really easy for them. And on top of that, when I used to give this speech back in 2019, talking about this use of a crisis, use of chaos to rise to power, you guys, I would always talk about climate change. And I would say, you know, they would tell us we're going to die in 10 years, that unless we support this legislation, we're going to die. You should be scared to have kids because you're going to bring them into a climate apocalypse. AOC cried on stage before, cried in an interview or something. I remember seeing this where she's saying she's scared to have children. So that's what we're up against with that. But then when we entered COVID-19, they didn't have to tell us that we might die in 10 years unless we didn't pass their legislation. People were already dying and it made them a lot, a lot easy. It made it a lot easier for them to push their messaging. So that's what we're up against. We're still up against it. I don't think we're ever going to see the end of these regulations because there's always going to be a new strain. There's always going to be concerns. Even with people fully vaccinated, they still have to follow all the precautions because we might potentially spread it. I don't know. So that's where we are. Happy 15 days to slow the spread. Happy 2021 in America, where we are on the brink of a socialist uprising. We are ridiculously stupid if we think Doing what we've done as a conservative movement is going to work and actually change things because it's gotten us into this mess that we're in now. Look where we are. We control nothing in this country. If we think that's going to work and just act the usual way we've always acted, we're sadly mistaken. And if we also think that we're America and it's never going to happen here and we're exempt, we're also dumb. We're also dumb. So let's start to really... Let's start to really pay attention and think of how we can act to get results instead of just talking points, instead of just making money from our shows, grifting, acting like we care, freaking people out on social media, and then following it up with no action in our actual lives. If you ask me, I think we should all start by running for school board, but we could talk about that another time. I am heading out. I'm going to go make some spaghetti because I'm hungry. Um, thanks for listening to my rant. I hope it helped. And uh, I'll see you next week. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you want to see me scream into a microphone, maybe you don't want to see this weird visual. Uh, for those of you who have been watching the visual and you're like, oh, Morgan hasn't fixed the blue light yet. You're right. I haven't. Maybe I'll ask Jared to turn it back to pink. But for now, Boomer doesn't know how to change the colors and it's still blue. Uh, thank you for listening. I'll see you later. And uh, if you have any questions that you want me to answer, just send them to me on Instagram. See you later, people. Patriots. Bye-bye.